Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the advanced route here at The Athletic and The Athletic Fantasy Sports. We think this is going to be a very unique show. We are really excited about it. I am your host, Michael Beller. I'll be introducing my co-host, Emery Hunt, in just a second here. What we plan to do for you this Thursday and every single Thursday through the NFL season is bring together a scouting focus with a stat focus. I am the stat guy, Michael Beller, a new guy here at The Athletic, and I am joined by the scout guy, Emery Hunt. Emery is the founder and owner of Football Game Plan. He also played a little bit of college ball. Emery, I am super excited to be doing this in general and to be doing this with you specifically. So welcome in, my man. Well, I appreciate that, Mike. I'm excited to do the same thing with you as we're going to bring two worlds together and and get them on the same page as far as, uh, you know, looking at this thing, how a football team actually looks at it. So I'm excited about it. And I'm glad I was able to uh, be a part of this new venture here at The Athletic. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, Emery, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, especially in the fantasy corner of the world, are, are very familiar and comfortable with uh, people who come from my portion of the industry and who uh, do what I do. But uh, I think you're going to be able to bring a unique perspective uh, to fantasy football that we really haven't seen a ton of. So why don't you, I know you've been with The Athletic for, for a, a while now and you've written plenty for us and you've been on other podcasts, but for people who might be new to you, why don't you uh, give the listeners a little bit of background on uh, how you came up in the game and how you are still active in uh, the game of football? Well, I played my college ball at the University of Louisiana, and I say played in parentheses because my career was cut short with the knee injury, I tore three ligaments in my knee and the doctors wouldn't clear me to go back out there. So my career was pretty much done. But what's interesting is that having played and then having it, the injury um, kind of forces you to learn the game from a different perspective. So I have a deeper appreciation for the schematics of it because when you're in it, you're only focused on your position. And by me being away from it and, and having it all 22 look uh, while still on a team, it allowed me to understand the whys and hows of of coverage and blocking schemes and things of that nature. So once I was done with college, I went out and coached at Mole High School in New Orleans, Louisiana. Shout out to McMain High School. After Katrina, that kind of blew me up to New Jersey, New York City area. You know, I was a motivational speaker and recruiter. And then in 2007, started football game plan because the football part was still trying to peek his way out and I always wanted to be a part of the game and continue to be a part of the game. I just didn't know how to do it. So starting a website kind of got me back in that football mold. And then we just started to progress. We did a YouTube channel in 2009 with football game plan, started doing podcasts in 2011, where we had a, a live call in Saturday show from nine to one, uh, nine to, it was nine to 11, uh, nine to one, I'm sorry, every morning, every Saturday morning, it was just so much fun. And uh, having people call in is probably one of the first, of its kind at that time. And then we started to progress to doing more scouting stuff. And, and, um, you know, I started doing more color commentary, uh, college football games, some high school games, but so slowly have, has, you know, have become uh climb the ladder, so to speak, as far as going from a writer to coach, to analyst, to, you know, scout for football game plan, now doing color commentary, and also doing stuff for the athletics. So I, I feel as though I have a pretty good perspective um, as far as being around the game, being involved in the game. And it's just been a fun ride, man. It's, uh, you know, on this podcast, this very podcast, August 1st, 
is our 12 year anniversary. So a football game plan. So shout out to the, the guys uh, yeah. that football game plan. And we didn't even plan that. We even plan it. Just kind of <laughs> how it works, man. And I'm excited about this. So that's my background. That's that's how I came up in this whole industry. And, you know, shout out to the Raging Cajuns as well, too, because still my home. I, I'm a big fan of the Vermilion and White. Always. Always. You can't you, no matter where you go, you can't leave behind the alma mater. Exactly. Well, uh, you know, I'm happy that you uh, that you brought up the key words here of uh, of this podcast, and we we use it in our in our show notes, introducing the show and in the trailer. And if you check that out, hopefully it got you excited about what the show is going to be. Um, but you know, there's so much of a stat focus in, in fantasy football as uh, there should be. It makes sense, right? To, at bottom, the stats that the players produce is what wins and loses fantasy games and fantasy leagues. So of course, there's going to be a focus on that. Doubly so because there just aren't very many of us in the fantasy industry who have your sort of football background, Emery. We can understand the numbers, but the X's and O's can at times elude us a little bit. So we have a good firm grasp on the what, what matters and how to get to that. But what you can do for us and what we're going to strive to do all season here on the advanced route is explain the why. Not only the what, but why is the what happening and can it continue to happen. And that's really what we're going to hope to do here on the advanced route. And beyond that, uh, we think it will and hope it can uh, lead uh, listeners to fantasy wins uh, throughout the regular season, deep into their playoffs, and hopefully to hoist championships uh, at the end of the season. And I want to start our first show, our inaugural show here with your specific position the running back position. This is not just uh, me trying to uh, to curry favor with uh, a new co-host uh, because running back uh, has obviously uh, sort of had an ebb and flow experience history in the fantasy football world. It started out as the most important position. Uh, it sort it started receding uh, maybe halfway through last decade as guys like Randy Moss and uh, and Andre Johnson started becoming first round picks, and it went underwent an all out assault on the position as a whole earlier this decade uh, when you really started to see wide receivers get up. And now we've reached to a point where uh, there is a familiar mantra going around, not only the fantasy world, but in some NFL, some real life football circles as well. And that is of running back doesn't matter. So we're going to explore that idea here today. Is it true? Uh, And we're going to do it through the lens of a couple of interesting uh, backfield situations carrying out right now as teams open up training camp. The first of those is Melvin Gordon and the Los Angeles Chargers. But first, Emery, before we dive into Melvin and the Chargers, I want to get your take, just your uh, sort of 30,000-foot view on this. How do you look at the running back doesn't matter thought process that is uh, happening in a lot of football circles today? It's so hilarious because it's so not true and, and it's so dumb, just to put it frankly. That's <laughs> that's not even from a 30,000-foot level. That's from a three-yard level, just like, hey, man, that's dumb. That's stupid. Don't say that. Uh, but I think we have to take the people back a little bit because what got us here is what happened back there. And when we start to see this this trend toward everyone now is saying passing game is, is where it is. It's a passing league. What started that whole trend and and the reason why people are slowly thinking that the running game doesn't matter is because the passing rules changed and now it became profitable to throw the football because you're going to get illegal contact. Number one, that's how it started. And then now these pass interference plays, you know, you could toss a football 10 yards down the field, 15 yards down the field, and 
you know, a bad throw could be a, a great play because it's going to yield itself into uh, a pass interference penalty. So that's yards. And so guys are moving football with a passing game, whether it be with a completed pass or an inaccurate pass. You can't touch the receivers. You can't really play tight coverage. You can't even um, even look like you're about to touch the receiver or they're going to throw the flag. So that's one way that the passing game has slowly begun to overtake uh, you know, the, the, the running game. And also you can't really get those good hits on a quarterback or get good shots on the quarterbacks now. So that gives them more time to find guys open to then draw these pass interference penalties to then move the football down the field. So you have a situation where a guy like not to pick on him, but you have a guy like Kirk Cousins that can thrive in this era, despite being Hall of Fame level average. And so outside of that, the running game still matters because and, and, and it's due to the fact that you have certain guys that that tend to strike the fear of, of God and the opponent or guys that defenders respect. It's not like it's not saying you take any running back in the in the first round. I, I would I would concede to that point. You take the game breakers, the threats in the first round. And when you have those, you have to take those because those tend to change and alter the game. And as much as people want to knock it, that a defense would play the Cowboys differently, let's say with Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield, juxtaposed to playing that same team with uh, Alfred Morris in the backfield and at number 46 jersey. So there's no respect right there. But when you put Zeke out there, it's like, okay, this is a different ball game. We have to make sure we are, you know, precise with our angles. Our run fits have to be great. So much has to be perfect for them to stop the run because of a great back like Ezekiel Elliott. So, yes, the running game still matters. And also, it just depends on the type of back. A, a game breaker definitely matters uh, regardless of error, regardless of, of you know, what type of league you're playing in, passing league or running league. If you have a game breaker, you have a game breaker, and, and that's the ones that you know are important. Yeah, you make a good point there. Um, yeah, I think even the most zealous uh, running back doesn't matter person would say it's not about the run game per se. What they're saying is that anyone could plug into that spot and, and that the player doesn't matter. It's more the scheming, the line, the coaching, and things of that nature. I think that something they would point to would be what we saw with the Chiefs last year, right? Kareem Hunt uh, lights the league on fire for the first 10, 12 weeks, whatever it is. He gets suspended. Spencer Ware steps in. Offense doesn't miss a beat. He gets hurt. Damian Williams steps in, and the offense doesn't miss a beat. I think that's really where the running back doesn't matter um, uh, discussion is centered, is that it's not that the run game as a whole doesn't matter, but that it doesn't matter who the player is. And you're pushing back on that with Ezekiel Elliott being a game, uh, that game-breaking sort of player. And Melvin Gordon, I think, fits in that mold as well. And obviously the Chargers are entering into a very interesting part of their uh, of their preseason with Melvin Gordon holding out. Now, this is a team that really fits that this both sides of this discussion, right? There is the running back doesn't matter. Chargers are going to be fine. If Melvin Gordon holds out, if he pulls a Le'Veon Bell, uh, they will be just fine turning to Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson. Uh, your side of the discussion says that, or at least I'm, I'm guessing it says, that Melvin Gordon is a special type of running back. No offense to Austin Eckler or Justin Jackson, but without him, 
the offense loses a step or a couple of steps. How do you look uh, at this Chargers backfield, assuming that, or what, what are the differences, I guess, is maybe the better way to think of this with Melvin Gordon, without Melvin Gordon? Does this offense take a hit if he ends up missing, you know, one game, four games, 16 games this season? First of all, the Chiefs would have beaten the Patriots had Kareem Hunt <laughs> been in the lineup. People would love to point that out, but let's be real. Had they had Kareem Hunt, that's a Super Bowl team right there, but I digress. To your question about Melvin Gordon, here's the thing with Melvin Gordon, and I, I like his game. He has uh, very quick feet. He can quickly get left to right and then squirt downhill uh, pretty quickly, which is exactly what you what you like of a back and which is why he was able to have a lot of these long runs at Wisconsin. His issue has been injury concern. And a lot of times you can look at how a guy is built and say, you know, he's, he may be a little bit more prone to injury. When you look at Melvin Gordon, he's long-legged, you know, so it's going to – it looks – you know, he he tends to – he's high cut, as they call it. So his even though he's quick left to right, sometimes his steps are a little bit elongated left to right, and – you know, he's a little bit off balance, can tend to run a little bit high and, you know, and, and is more susceptible to injury. But he has those traits to be a, a a starter, a very good starter in his league. Now, is he a game breaker? I don't think he's a game breaker, but there's a difference when he's in there, in my opinion. And, and there's a difference when, you know, when he's involved and healthy, I, I believe his greatest asset is is that he has the, all the running skills that you want but he's also a really good receiver and he's mm-hmm. also a good receiver to where he can turn a swing pass or a screen into a long play now he's not your downfield threat where you want to flex him out wide and run him down the, the seam and make a move and, and then get, get across the middle of the field that's not his game but that's where he probably defers to a guy like a Austin Eckler who is more along the lines from a stylistic standpoint to a Darren Sproles where you can kind of move him all around, put him in matchup situations and and find ways to get him the football without actually handing him the football, like a traditional tailback. Although he can do that. He's more apt to being that, that spot starter guy. Jackson to me is more along the lines of Gordon, but Jackson also has a lot of those same injury concerns. He was a little bit banged up at Northwestern and has had some injury concerns, some nagging injuries here so far in the NFL. So I think even though Gordon maybe not the may not be the explosive back or may not be the the guy that you know we always bring up Ezekiel Elliott or Saquon Barkley, he may not be of that caliber, but on that football team, it makes a difference when he's out there. I know the yardage per you know the yards per carry people will bring up as as a counterpoint, but you know, I just think that Gordon is a, a decent guy that you that that they need in this offense because he helps make makes their offense go. Yeah, that's that's where, that's where I want to go with this because I mean you know every I don't think anyone would would argue with you that Melvin Gordon is the superior running back to Austin Eckler and to Justin Jackson. But what do you say to someone who says that you know they can plug those guys in and still be the same Chargers? They can plug those guys in. And, you know, Phillip Rivers can still be Phillip Rivers. Keenan Allen can still be Keenan Allen. They've got Mike Williams. They've got Hunter Henry. Uh, No disrespect to Melvin Gordon, but this is going to be a great offense with or without him. Maybe they would say that that's not going to be the same if they lose Keenan Allen or if Hunter Henry can't stay on the field again this season, that they would lose lose more from the offense through that than they would 
through uh, losing Melvin Gordon. So what's your answer there? How is it different that um, – how does Melvin Gordon's presence change the offense uh, in a way that you know, those other guys don't? It gives them one more thing to worry about. But I do agree with those people that would say, you know, what Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, especially after his emergence last year, are healthy, Hunter Henry – Definitely is something that to to give you cause for pause because, like, wow, we have to we have to really defend these guys. They have two excellent wideouts that are tall, that can run, that can play above the rim. They have a really good tight end that can flex out and and be a one on one guy as well. And if they can find a, a third receiver, I think Travis Benjamin is their slot guy. He has tremendous speed, and you know you run him on those over routes, and he's gonna he's gonna make those big plays. So they have enough in the passing game, and when you combine what they do. Uh, with Eckler and Jackson out on screens and sometimes with Gordon if he's healthy. But, yes, they can still be pro- productive. You kind of can look at this offense how you would look at, uh, for my football fans out there, how Dan Marino used to run in Miami. They didn't really have a back at all. Uh, until not a, I want to say maybe for those four games where they had, and I don't think Marino wasn't even, maybe Marino was there, but I'm drawing a blank, but, when they had Cecil Collins for those three games. Um, but they hadn't had a back that you could truly depend on or was a threat in the backfield Marino's entire tenure. But they always had good options on a perimeter. And the Dolphins were always in either contention for the playoffs or in the playoffs. And you kind of could view who Phillip Rivers in this entire Chargers tenure when he was a starter under the same prism, you know, Outside of them having Ladanian Tomlinson, which was a great back, and we saw how far that got them. Um, unfortunately, both guys, he and Phil Rivers, were hurt in that AFC Championship game. But we saw them get far with a with a dynamic back. But w- without one, we saw them still be competitive. We saw Phil Rivers still put up good numbers. We saw them still get into the playoffs, still be a factor in the AFC West. So yes, even without Melvin Gordon, this team especially with their defense being able to take the ball away and give the ball back to Phillip Rivers, they'll be fine. But if they were, if they want to go further, they're going to need Melvin Gordon. But this offense can still be productive, still win games. And, it's, and since this is talking about fantasy, they're going to still be a, a team that you can trust. Okay, there's three options on this team that can definitely get you points because this offense is the offense. And again, it, it draws a lot of comparisons to what we used to see back in the 80s and 90s with the Dolphins under Dan Marino. What's unique about Gordon compared with those other guys? Why is he a first-round fantasy pick, a worthy first-round fantasy pick, a consensus first-round fantasy pick? Uh, But Eckler, uh, if he's going to be the guy, is nowhere near that. Uh, Why is that? Where's the difference from an X's and O's standpoint? What's the difference on Melvin Gordon compared, especially with Eckler, uh, I think Justin Jackson uh, in this scenario is still mixing in as a complimentary back and Eckler's really the guy in charge of the backfield. So where's the difference between Gordon and Eckler there? And is there any way that you could see Eckler in a 16 game season playing at you know, 90% production of what Melvin Gordon gives fantasy owners? What Melvin Gordon gives you and, and the reason why I like him and the reason why people still trust Melvin Gordon he has a complete understanding of the running game. He's more of your traditional tailback because of the system he came out of or the way he came out of college. At Wisconsin, a lot of you know pro-style elements, they're running downhill. And when you like you like backs that are running out of those those uh, formations and, and that scheme, 
because their eyes are being trained to find lanes. And a lot of times nowadays, and we see this a lot, uh, let's say, for instance, coming out of high school, you know, there was maybe I remember vividly one guy ran for 4000 yards and it was like, yo, how the hell he did that? And, you know, that's ridiculous. And that was Travis Henry. He ended up going to Tennessee. And then you you look at nowadays, every high school running back has run for 4000 yards in a season and stuff like that. And you, you watch their tape, you're like, man, this guy is running through gaping holes. You know, it's just like the holes are there and he's just running fast and you're the best athlete in high school and you're at your high school, you're going to score a lot of long touchdowns. But when you get to Wisconsin and they're running, you know, gap power uh, inside zone, outside zone, your eyes are being constantly trained to, to find space. So physically Melvin Gore may not be a four two guy. He may not have Barry Sanders like agility, but his eyes are, are what get him to where he can be successful. So his eyes and feet are always in unison. He can see the cutback lane. He can find the space and they trust him on to be, they trust him on, let's say a down to down per, per, um, per basis to uh, be able to work in space and, and create yards for himself. Whereas when you look at an Eckler or Jackson coming out of more of the spread offenses, you know, if they, they're used to being more of, I would say, uh, let's call them spot starters, guys that don't need volume to um, self starters to, you know, guys that can get going with, a carry here, two carries there on the side for a few plays and come back in. Those are these type of guys where uh, because of what they came out of in college. So I do believe in their in their offense without Melvin Gordon, you're going to see a lot more sprint draw. You're going to probably see a lot more, you know, quick toss, a lot more outside zone, getting these guys to the perimeter. Um, you're going to see a lot more screens with these guys, a lot of short passes to supplement what they cannot do in a running game. And I, I think that's how they can be productive from that aspect. But when Gordon gets back there, it allows them to get a little bit of rhythm as far as, like, okay, we're going to run this outside zone, run it outside zone, come off play action, fire to Hunter Henry. You know, it's, it's almost like a, you know, to use a music reference, it's almost like jazz. You kind of layer one thing to another, and then next thing you know, you, you find yourself making beautiful music. And in this case, it's going to be great offense. So I think when Gordon, because of Gordon's um, background coming out of that Wisconsin offense and his eyes being trained to find your own work um that's why people trust him but without him it's going to have to be a lot of different uh, small ways they can help uh, supplement the running game and i think they can do that uh with those guys but if you're talking fantasy those guys even if they're going to go into the season as the guy you probably want to get those guys later because on a down to down basis they don't have that 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 vision and and um consistency within their vision and their footwork to be able to find those running yards that you want to that you look for in the RB1. Yeah, it's exactly where I was going with my uh with my next point. How does that manifest itself uh from uh, again uh, from a fantasy perspective where we are just concerned about pure production? How does Melvin Gordon's how do Melvin Gordon's abilities or his unique abilities compared with what uh, Eckler brings to the table, how does that lead us to more yards? Why is Melvin Gordon so much more desirable, even with no matter who the running back is back there, it's going to be a strong, sound offensive environment. So why are Melvin Gordon's abilities so much more desirable than Austin Eckler's when we look at these two players as different fantasy guys? Because Gordon is the type of player that's going to um, command the, the football as far as his style. You can't play Austin Eckler's game with Melvin Gordon and vice versa. 
So it's it's a similar situation when the Bears had Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen. Howard can't do this the uh the spot carries. So he's gonna warrant those carries that you're gonna get. Now Melvin Gordon is a, a much better back than Jordan Howard. So you you're giving Melvin Gordon 17 carries. He's gonna do more with that as opposed to a guy like Jordan Howard because of his skill set. And so because Melvin Gordon has that, has those traits, has those skills, he's gonna get those carries. Now, when you look at Austin Eckler, you know, you're like, okay, well, can we trust him? They, first of all, coaches tend to overthink things. They, they're going to look at his size and say, well, he can't handle, you know, 17 carries. So we, we don't want him to get beat up, despite him probably averaging over 30 carries a game in college, right? Uh, so they're going to think overthink the situation thing because his size, he can't do it. But size is not a skill. So with that being said, he's only going to get maybe nine carries a game. The other part of that, that running game is going to go to Justin Jackson or another back. So he's not going to get the carries to where he's going to uh, get over 100 yards rushing. Uh, he's going to take a big, big chunk play or something like that. And so his production will come on. Let's say if you're looking at him for a PPR player, it's going to have the six receptions, maybe nine carries. Justin Jackson's going to have a little bit more in the carries department, maybe not as much as a receiver. Uh, so with those who combine into to help carry the running game or keep the, the running game on pace, you probably want to stay away from both of them early in drafts as opposed to a guy like Gordon where you know he's going to get the carries and also uh, a little short passes in the passing game. So he's going to get the work more so than Eckler and Jackson will. They'll, they'll get combined work, which means you probably want to not trust them high in, in drafts. I think the numbers certainly bear that out for you. When we look back to last season, uh, the Chargers – uh, played four games without Melvin Gordon. Uh, they went four and zero in those games. So uh, you know, maybe a uh, a running back doesn't matter. Person from a from a real life perspective w- would point to that as something that the Chargers were a good team. Period. Didn't matter who was in the backfield. Maybe Tennessee. That was a game actually in London. Uh, they won at Pittsburgh and at Kansas City, and they beat the Bengals. All very close games. They beat Tennessee by one, Pittsburgh by a field goal, Cincinnati by five, and. Chargers by one. That was an excellent game. A, uh, a late late season primetime, I think, primetime game uh, with a two point conversion at the gun to uh, to Mike Williams uh, for the win for the Chargers. Uh, but the the numbers that you're referring to in terms of you know, neither back uh, really commanding a huge touch share on the ground compared with Melvin Gordon do bear out. Austin Eckler uh, in that game against Tennessee had 12 carries for 42 yards. Uh, against Pittsburgh, he had 13 for 21. Jackson had 8 for 63. So combined, you're talking 21 carries for 84 yards. Uh, against Cincinnati, uh, they combined 22 carries for 78 yards. Eckler had a touchdown. And then against the uh, Chiefs, this was a game that uh, that Eckler was also injured for. Justin Jackson went 16 for 58 in the score. They both added modest receiving production in the games that they uh, carried the load as well. Uh, But I think this bears it out for you. Melvin Gordon was a guy who, and I know yards per carry is not necessarily a gospel statistic, but 5.1 yards per carry last season uh, behind an offensive line that I think most people would say was, you know, not, not necessarily, certainly not a bad line, but not one that we are talking about among the the league's best either, at least last year. Uh, Melvin Gordon, I think made a ton of difference in those numbers when you look at those when you hear what Jackson and Eckler did in those games without Melvin Gordon what jumps out to you most 
the fact that running backs matter. But <laughs> in all seriousness, but it, like you said, it just goes to the point I, w- I was making that you're going to have to use both guys to get what you could have gotten from Gordon. And 5.1 in the NFL is is great. You know, 4.3, 4.4 is doing just fine. To me, that meets expectations as an NFL back. Five yards of carry, you're cooking with fish grease because you're looking at a guy that you give him the ball two times, that's a first down. And so that also tells you that that person that that averages a healthy yards per carry is more likely to, to break a long run or get a big chunk run. And so with those guys, the running was efficient and it kept their offense on pace, which allowed them to win the game. That's good but it didn't get them to the ultimate goal, which is playing bonus football, uh, you know, deep into the playoffs. Now they beat the Ravens mainly because of their defense. Um, Then they got blown out by new England. So maybe that game is different with a, a, you know, a a healthy Melvin Gordon, who knows Mm -hmm. how healthy he was in that playoff game. Um, But I think when you look at those guys having to share duties and it's tough for a back to get into a groove, knowing that you're going to be splitting carries anyway. Right. So let's say when Eckler, his best game, um, where he was 15 for 66, let's say, you know, Eckler probably could have handled 23 carries and would have broken that that run on, on carry number 16. Sometimes a back starts to get into that running back groove where he's starting to feel out the defense and figuring out where, where guys are going to cheat to or where they're going to align to, how they're going to get off blocks, how quickly they're going to get off blocks. You start to really feel out a defensive front seven in their keys, the more you're, you're getting the ball. And as a runner, you're probably in a little bit more condition uh, than your, your counterparts at linebacker, because you don't have to bang on bodies every play like they do. They have to get off blocks and also make the tackle. So your fifth carry may feel like your first, just opposed to his fifth play feeling like his 20th to where he's like, man, I'm sluggish. I'm tired. And that's when you take full advantage, especially if you're a guy like Eckler, that has explosive bursts. So, you know, sometimes it, it, the numbers tend to lie um, because it's all about when you get those carries and how you come about those carries. But looking at the end result, like you said, it proves my point that these two guys can be efficient and effective for their offense, but they don't have the same value as a Melvin Gordon. So purely from a fantasy perspective, it sounds like a big chunk of this is the trust from the coaching staff that they would have, and if you put Melvin Gordon in the, in that game against Cincinnati, uh, instead of 22 carries split between two backs, it's 22 for one guy. And we know what volume does for a running back in the uh, NFL. These coaches nowadays would have made Barry Sanders a spot player. <laughs> Football, not that hard. <laughs> right. That's the, uh, that's the key these days. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's move on here to, uh, to our second topic. Now, Melvin Gordon, uh, whether or not, he is going to be a, a situation or where we can test does running back matter. That's still going to be decided over the next month or so. If he ends up holding out or if he ends up signing a contract uh, or coming to uh, whatever sort of agreement he and the chargers are looking at and playing this season. One place where we know we're going to get to test it is in new Orleans. Alvin Kamara, obviously a, a real life and fantasy superstar. He's going to be doing his thing uh, for the saints this season. But Mark Ingram's gone. Longtime Saint uh, has been a very productive guy for this team uh, during his entire uh, career with them, and especially over the last four years. He is gone. He is off to Baltimore, and in comes Latavius Murray. And I think this is an excellent test case for does running back matter. 
because Mark Ingram is a guy who has been very productive, maybe not the flashiest running back, but basically whenever he was given a chance to be the guy in New Orleans, he delivered. And this is in a very explosive offense. Latavius Murray is a guy who's bounced around a little bit, has had his moments in Oakland, had his moments in Minnesota, never really outside of uh, some run with Oakland. And uh, when Delvin Cook was hurt last year, uh, had an opportunity to be a consistent starter the way that Melvin, or excuse me, the way that, uh, that Mark Ingram has. Uh, he steps into a position where you got to believe that New Orleans targeted him, went after him strongly, and basically views him as a one-for-one substitute for Mark Ingram. My question to you, Emery, is can Latavius Murray be that one-for-one substitute for Mark Ingram, or is there something special about Ingram that we're going to notice missing from this New Orleans offense? There is something special about Ingram that people will notice missing from this offense. Footwork and ability to get from front side to back side because of his vision. That right there always puts everyone in on, on their toes defensively because now that backside defender can't fall asleep because Ingram has the footwork and the agility to get backside and pick up yards and chunks and also has good bursts to where he's going to, if if, he, if the play is there front side, he's going to explode through it and has a, the quickness to power through tackles and have and has the subtleness to make you miss in a, in a tight, confined space. None of that I just described describes Latavius Murray, who is, what, 6'2", 6'3"? Big guy, big running yeah. back. He runs 6'3". Guys tend to hit him, and he doesn't run with, with great pad level, which means he tends to fall over his own feet. Um, he's going to stumble a little bit, not pick up the yards that, that are there uh, to be picked up, or maybe he will pick up, okay, this play on, on its surface is going to give us four yards, right, when you see it blocked up. But if you can, you know, make that one guy miss, you could probably get 20 or even score. Well, Murray is going to get those four yards. And people will miss what Ingram was able to do within the Saints offense. And you talk about the last, uh, what, five years when they finally gave him the football, 4.3 yards a carry, 4.6, 5.1, 4.9 last year, 4.7. So it just goes to what we say. You give good backs the ball. And they were able to give Ingram the ball early uh, and late to to really close out games. He was able to answer the call. I don't think they're going to get that from Murray. And a lot of people want to put <laughs> a lot of people. It's funny when people say, well, Sean Payton, um, you know, it, it's the offense. You know, the, the offense, the scheme can do this for uh, for any back. Well, how about we give credit to that Saints, you know, scouting department and, and Sean Payton for having great backs. Why didn't mm-hmm. he have an eye for, for good backs? Since he's gotten there, he's had Deuce McAllister, Reggie Bush, Mark Ingram, Darren Sproles, had a cup of coffee with C.J. Spell, who had a game-winning uh, play against the Cowboys. He's had great backs. And so that also— Elvin Kamara's a third-round pick. Elvin Kamara's a third-round pick that that also doubles as a uh, you know dual-threat guy. And what people under, uh, underestimate about his game— is how strong he is. Uh, so he's going to break a ton of tackles and probably warrants getting the football more, you know, so as far mm-hmm. as, as a runner. Um, so let's give Sean Payton and that, that Saints organization organization credit for finding great backs. Was able to have success with or, or get production from guys that were one-cut downhill players and Chris Ivory, um, Travaris Cadet, uh, those guys, those type of guys, Pierre Thomas. But overall, he's had great talent. So, yes, there will be a significant drop-off from 
Mark Ingram to Latavius Murray this year. So I would stay away from Murray. I would probably not draft Kamara as high because it seems like Kamara played mm. off well with Mark Ingram. Um, and once they figure out that Murray is probably going to be ineffective, that may mean, yeah, they're going to try to rev up Kamara's production in the, or um, touches in a running game. And maybe that's not his game. Maybe his game is what we've seen over the last two seasons where, you know, uh, what, 81 receptions in back-to-back years and about 100 and average, what, 150, uh, maybe 120 carries a season. Maybe that's his that's his his uh, his sweet spot. Um, and you don't want to dis- disturb the entire, you know, offense by forcing him to be, you know, on the extreme of, of either side. Like you don't want to make him full time slot receiver. You don't want to make him a full time tailback. Mm-hmm. His best asset is being able to do both equally and playing off a very good back that, that keeps you honest. Because the Saints have done this before. When they had Deuce McAllister, they had Reggie Bush playing the Alvin Kamara role. When they had uh, Pierre Thomas, they had our Mark Ingram in addition to Pierre Thomas. That's when they had Darren Sproles playing that Alvin Kamara role. So mm-hmm. you don't want to have a guy that's, that's great in a role take on another responsibility that may not give you the most – bang for your buck offensively like we've seen over the last decade for New Orleans. That's an interesting point to me, and I don't want to leave Latavius behind because we I think we still have a little bit to talk about there, but you know, Mark, Alvin Kamara is, you know, we, we're talking about uh, a big four at the running back position and not just at the running back position, but at the top of fantasy drafts. Pretty much every draft, and however many leagues you're in, Emery, um, whether it's one, whether it's ten, almost every single league that you are in, you are going to see a top four in some order of Saquon Barkley, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, and Christian McCaffrey. Uh, are, are you saying that Alvin Kamara does not belong in that group because of the loss of Mark Ingram? Yeah, I don't, I don't think he belongs in that group. And I would love to see the splits on when Kamara is getting his carries. Because if just off the top of my head, it seems like Kamara was getting those carries after teams got tired of stopping Mark Ingram. And here comes Mr. Fresh Legs and is killing the defense. And is, you know, he's flying through arm tackles. He's outrunning guys to the end zone. He's beating slow, tired linebackers on option routes. And he's taking full advantage because he's fresh and also good. But now if you wear him down to where he won't have that same level of explosiveness or burst later in the game because he's now the feature back, things will change a little bit. Plus, it'll take away a little bit from what he's able to do um, from uh from from a receiver because you probably won't have him doing as much in the passing game. Everyone looks at Marshall Falk as the mole, but people forget Marshall Falk was a, a legit sprinter. Um, mm-hmm. You know, ran four three, uh, was fluid. I don't see that same fluidity in Alvin Kamara's game, and I, I'm not saying he's a product of the system, but there's a reason why we haven't seen too many backs go one thousand a thousand like we saw. Uh, Marshall Falk, like we saw Roger Craig do. There's a certain right. element you need. And I think Kamara's game is is right where it needs to be. Um, and I hope the Saints, whether it's Buck Allen, whether it's Latavius Murray, whether it's someone else that is yet to be seen on that roster, takes over and becomes a legitimate threat in, the, you know, in their traditional running game, the Mark Ingram role, uh, then we can continue to see Alvin Kamara thrive. Like, I, I, don't, I don't see him being... Um, in that same element, that same stratosphere as Christian McCaffrey. 
Wow. Well, we, we might have to check in on this uh, a little bit later in the season, but uh, really quick, just to tie this up from a fantasy perspective, um, I'm just going to go rapid fire at you with these uh, guys who are in that that group of running backs and interested to see where you think he falls. So you've got him behind Saquon, you've got him behind Zeke, you've got him behind McCaffrey. Um, uh, Alvin Kamara or David Johnson? Oh, wow. That's a great one. Um, <laughs> I like Kamara's natural running ability more so than David Johnson. David Johnson to me is still, he still runs like a receiver playing running back as opposed to a running back that can also uh, get out there and play receiver. Um, I think from a natural running standpoint, I'll take Kamara in that, in that sense. Okay. Uh, assuming he plays, um, Alvin Kamara or Melvin Gordon. Oh, wow. Another good one. Um, (laughs) I trust Kamara's availability. Uh, even though I like Gordon, you know, Kamara has shown that he doesn't – He when he's available, he breaks tackles, which is key. Um, and I think that's – to me, that that's a valuable asset. And, you know, I, the reason why we like Melvin Gordon is because he also has a lot of those goal line touchdowns. Um, but you look at his yards per carry, and I know I just made a big case for Melvin Gordon, but you look at his yards per carry, it's still not what you want it to be at an NFL level. Okay. Um, it's two more and then we'll get back to Latavius and we'll tie this thing up. Um, Melvin Gordon or, or excuse me, Alvin Kamara or Le'Veon Bell in his first year with the Jets. Le'Veon Bell easily. And I will put him right after the, uh, who was the third back? Zeke? Not Zeke. Zeke. Yeah. Zeke, Saquon and McCaffrey. Yeah. I would say he's right there. Because Le'Veon in that group. Absolutely. Because he has good patience, good natural running ability, very good receiver, takes care of his body um you just gotta hope he doesn't get suspended because uh, that's what has killed a lot of his his seasons uh-huh. you know um but he does a good job of of making that guy miss he he knows how to take contact i think he's gonna really blow up this year okay we're gonna have to i'm gonna bookmark this and we're gonna have to have a Le'Veon jets adam gase daulagan sort of conversation but that's for another that's for a later advanced route <laughs> and then one more um, give me Alvin Kamara or Le'Veon's Pittsburgh replacement, James Conner. It's your pick. It's the, I don't know, the eighth pick in the draft. Who are you taking? I'm taking Kamara because of his ability in the passing game and because he's available. And I don't, I don't, you know, Connor showed last year, got nicked up, got banged up. And, you know, that right there is one reason why a, a lot of athletes get, get hurt or seem to get hurt you know, they could be a little bit stiff. And to be honest, Connor's a little bit stiff as a as a as an athlete, as a runner. And that's gonna yield itself to being a guy that's gonna take some hits, um, not be as nimble as far as avoiding injury and things of that nature. I know injuries are a freak occurrence, but it it's always ironic when you see guys that tend to be stiff always are the ones that end up being banged up. So all right. Well, let's. Uh, we'll we'll have an. We might have to have an Alvin Kamara side bet uh, at some point. But again, we'll figure that out a little bit closer uh, to the season because, uh, from a f- pure fantasy perspective, I am very bullish on uh, on what Kamara uh, might be able to do this year. But let's get back to to exactly what we're talking about here: Latavius Murray and the move from Mark Ingram. So it's not a one for one change, but I think a lot of people, or you say it's not a one for one change. I think a lot of people are going to be looking at it that way. What's the biggest difference from the Saints offense as a whole? Uh, so not, we're not just talking about the Ingram, the Ingram uh, Murray difference, but what's the effect on Drew Brees from having their second back or their complimentary back to Camara be Latavius Murray 
and not Mark Ingram? What's the effect on Breeze? What's the effect on Michael Thomas? What's the effect on that offense as a whole? Do you think we're going to see any loss in efficiency from this team this season? Man, he just gave Michael Thomas $200 million a year, so he better not have a drop-off. <laughs> <laughs> but all jokes aside, I don't see anything that's happening with the running game affecting Drew Brees and Michael Thomas because one thing I do know about Sean Payton, he doesn't need much to get away from the running game. Like, if they stop the – if they open up the game 14 minutes and 50 seconds in the into the into the ball game and they stop the run – Sean Payton will abandon the run for the rest of the day and go straight. We're going to throw this thing out 75 times. So he doesn't need much to get away from the run. And if Murray is not having success, he's going to say, okay, well, I got Drew Brees. I got Michael Thomas. I can do some creative things with um, Alvin Kamara. We'll we'll just have to use the pass to set up the run and, and work that way or use the short pass as a supplement to the running game. And so I think that's, they're still going to have success in the passing game. Latavius Murray and if his and his potential ineffectiveness won't affect Drew Brees or any of the options out there on the field. The Saints uh, played 23% of their plays last year with two backs on the field. The league average was 12%. This comes uh, from great football researcher Warren Sharp, uh, invaluable uh, research from from him. Uh, do you think they can do that as much uh, with with Murray, the way that they were able to with Mark Ingram? I don't want to make a joke, man, but it's like, you know, if you if you if you come out there with Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara in the backfield, I'm gonna be like, all right, they got two backs out there. You know, both are apt to you know catching the ball. One is a little bit more dangerous in the passing game. One can definitely kill you on inside zone and and really um, exploit us if we're if we're over aggressive in playing the pass. But if I see Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray come out there, then we only got one back on the field, in my opinion. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like, bro, we know where you're going to be. You know, you're 6'3". You're going to be 6'3". We're going to see you when you when you get there to the hole, and we'll beat you there to the point uh, because, we know, you, we, you can't make a guy miss. But it's a great opportunity for Murray to, you know, shut people like me up and, and really <laughs> get back to that Pro Bowl form because when you look at what he did in Oakland when he made the Pro Bowl, he ran tough. He ran with a little bit of explosiveness. He ran with a, a mindset like he was, man, I'm, I got to make this this team. I got to seize this opportunity to where he started to steal that, that ball away. Uh, I want to say it was from Darren McFadden, and he got the opportunity and took the and took the bull by the horns and ran with it, uh, pun intended. But then you started to see him, you know, you started to see a, as he got more carries and, and started to get, you know, more uh, playing time, it, you started to see where his weaknesses are. And that's why he also started to not have as much success. He started to get banged up a little bit more. And it took away from his early career effectiveness because he was a really good back, you know, with the Raiders. And then it just started to slowly decline. And I know he's trying to get back into that same mold. I know he says all the right things. And, you know, in spurts last year with the Vikings, he had some good runs and and, and was able to string together some, some good games. Uh, but overall, there's no way you can compare those two, uh, him and Ingram. And, you know, I want to say Murray and Kamara don't pose the same threat as does Ingram and Kamara does. 
I want to tie this up with a with a discussion about the pass catching because that to me, or when I look at this from a from a statistical standpoint, that's where the biggest difference is. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. Obviously, you know, not all of those were not all that twenty three percent was was Kamara and Ingram. Obviously, there was sack line and there were there was fullbacks in, in play, but still, I think it's it's an important point that the receiving is a big difference. So. The last four years uh, in New Orleans, Mark Ingram had 175 catches on 216 targets, 1,310 yards, five touchdowns in 56 games. Latavius Murray, in his entire five years in the NFL, uh, 128 receptions, so that's a drop of about 50. 162 targets, also a drop of about 50 from what Ingram's done the last four years. 883 yards, about what 430 yards, fewer, give or take, and no touchdowns in 77 games, 21 more than we've seen from Mark Ingram over the last four years. Is that about their ability? Is that about Mark Ingram, the receiver, versus Latavius Murray, the receiver? Or is that more about what the Saints want to do than what the Raiders and Vikings wanted to do? And can Latavius Murray be that player, be what Mark Ingram was as a receiver uh, now that he's in a scheme that maybe will ask him to do more catching of the football? I think all answers can be true when you look at Ingram's ability as a receiver and the Saints offense, which yields him getting more looks in a, in a passing game, juxtaposed to Murray's ability in the passing game and probably them saying, you know what, we're going to scale back this because he's not as good in this area as another back. So we're going to give that back the receptions. Uh, we're going to throw him your basic meets expectations routes, which are your screens, your flats, mm-hmm. your swing routes, and things like that. We won't ask him to go downfield. Ingram had a little bit more leeway, um, you know, and and plus Ingram being a better back can take those uh, or having a better skill set, take those swings, greens, flats and flares a little bit further and make something out of it more so than Murray could. So this is where talent um, and also scheme kind of work in unison. So, yeah, Ingram can catch and he also can make that first guy miss. You get him out there in space. Murray is probably can catch but not as apt to make that first guy miss, or you really can't trust him consistently to catch passes a little bit further past the line of scrimmage as you could to, to Ingram. So you don't think that we can just say, all right, you know, Mark Ingram did this on a per game basis as a receiver. You know, he was good, but he's not Kamara. He's not a Christian McCaffrey type receiver. Latavius Murray, he can do, you know, exactly X what Ingram did. You think that there is a difference in receiving skills and we're going to see, uh, Murray not put up the same sort of receiving numbers that we saw Ingram do the last couple of seasons. Uh, right. You, you're going to see probably a little bit more of that passing work go to Kamara uh, and less of that go to, to Murray, or you're going to probably see them split that between another back Whether again, mm-hmm. Buck Allen is a better receiver than Latavius Murray. So you may sure. see them utilize his skill set as opposed to Latavius in that, in that role. Now, obviously you want to do it to not, get predictable by personnel so but I I do believe we'll see two guys share Ingram's role in the passing game as opposed to just Murray and also uh, Kamara well Emory I'll I'll tell you this uh, if uh, if uh, Latavius Murray hears this I know you mean no no personal disrespect but if uh, if he hears this and he proves you wrong you might have a little bit of trouble getting to your uh, hometown later this winter Oh yeah, he'll he'll be tweeting it out and stuff <laughs> like that. But you know, like like you said, there's no shot at Murray. It's just, I mean, it's it is what it is. There are certain things Murray can do well, but in this 
when you compare him to the guy that just left, that that's tough. You know, mm-hmm. I was shocked that Saints didn't go out and take a back in the draft um, that can kind of fit that mold because people forget Ingram was a Heisman Trophy w- winner for a reason. You know, and and people like to downplay what his skill set was. Mm-hmm. And when the Saints finally gave him the ball, th- their offense got much better. And he realized, like, you know what? Maybe we should run the ball a little bit more because anytime they got to the Super Bowl or got deep into the playoffs, they were one of the top rushing teams in the league. And so I want to say top five in the league. So, you know, Ingram was a good back, a really good back, which is why I'm excited about his potential in Baltimore in conjunction with a guy that's going to help alleviate a lot of that pressure off the running game in Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. So I, I worry about Murray um, fitting in this offense. And I'm I'm excited to see how it plays out because, again, Murray at one point in time, he had some he had some juice with him, but in Minnesota it just didn't carry over from what we saw in Oakland. Well, that Mark Ingram one is an interesting one, and it's one we're going to have to to talk about at some point, but not here today. Uh, no surprise, our first show of the advanced route. We're going to be doing this a lot. That we uh, went a little bit longer than we were planning, but that's what happens when you put these two worlds uh, together. Uh, Emery, remind all the listeners where uh, they can they can find you on Twitter at fball game plan on Twitter. All right. I am Michael Beller. It's at M Beller. And again, uh, if you like what you've heard, this is just the very start of what we're going to be doing once a week, every week here at the athletic on the advanced route. You can see the uh, follow button up there. Click follow. You will be notified of any new episodes whenever they come your way. Emery, uh, I think we're off to a great start here. This was a lot of fun. I can't wait to get into this uh, with you for the next month as we are getting deeper and deeper into fantasy draft season. And then when we turn the page to the regular season, talking about what is actually happening on the field and how that is affecting the fantasy world. Appreciate you as always, Mike. This is a great show. Make sure you guys out there have your pet spade neutered and shout out to the Vermillion <laughs> White down there in Acadiana land. There you go. A little Bob Barker, a little Drew Carey. Nothing wrong with that. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back with you again next week on the Advanced Route.